Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. October isn't quite over yet, people. We still got basketball, baseball, football, hockey, college sports all going on at the same time, and the only way to keep up with all of your favorite sports and Vegas casino games is with betonline.ag. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAVE50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take It easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it's a podcast welcome in everybody it is thursday october 28th according to my count the greatest month of the sports calendar is slowly ticking to a close And the World Series is capturing my attention, but also what's capturing my attention is this amazing Thursday night football game between the Green Bay Packers and the Arizona Cardinals. Now, is Devontae Adams going to be out? Yes. Is Alan Lazard going to be out? Yes. Is there a non-zero chance that Randall Cobb is going to have 200 yards receiving? Yes. And is J.J. Watt not going to be playing for the Cardinals? Yes. Yet still, I would like to talk about that game and more with our friend Walter Mitchell Uh, Walter, of course, is the deputy editor for SB Nation's Revenge of the Birds. He's an Arizona Cardinals guy. We had our Packers guy last week with Gage Bridgeford. So you might, uh, not last week, yesterday, apologies. So you might say we're very interested in this game, even if we do the weird thing where we talk around the X's and O's analysis, because it's really hard for us to do X's and O's analysis. But we have Walter coming on, and we always have amazing conversations with Walter. We also dis- dissect this Deshaun Watson conversation a bit more as well and talk about Mac Jones and uh, where he's at, where the Patriots are at, how they've overachieved this year given the offense that they have. So we have all of that coming up and more. But I do want to talk baseball real quick. And since we didn't do it yesterday, let's hit y'all with our wonderful baseball theme music since there's only a few more times we're going to be able to use this here in 2021. Let's play. 
All nine innings, courtesy of our buddy Rob Stone, was of course the 2021 San Diego Padres rap anthem that of course is no longer relevant because the Padres were worse than the Baltimore Orioles for the last two months of the season, but even still. So Houston bounced back in a big way against the uh, Atlanta Braves. They pretty much, it was a replica of game one minus the Charlie Morton injury it was like a replica of game one except you just kind of flipped the teams like the Astros jumped out to an early lead never let them come back and uh, that was pretty much the story of the game was Astros whooping ass in game two the way I thought they would whoop up in game one and the way I thought they would whoop up throughout the series which means I feel like we've learned pretty much nothing both these teams are pretty evenly matched Atlanta just lost a starting pitcher for the series their second starting pitcher got raked rake with a k in game two and pretty much now we look up and say which team is better and you have no idea what the answer is we learned very little from the game but uh, one of the things that worked out well for the Astros is that seven-man lineup that they have and this was specifically against lefties but more specifically that seven-man lineup that they went with against the uh, Braves and they finished off with like City and Martin Maldonado and Martin Maldonado had an awesome game for the Houston Astros so let's not pretend like he wasn't a huge contributor but that core of the lineup Altuve, Brantley, Bregman, Alvarez, Correa, Tucker, Gurriel this was the thing that was always scary throughout the year it's the thing that separates the Houston Astros from all the teams in the American League and did throughout the year is that that's like seven all-stars up and down that lineup and yes Alex Bregman still does not have a hit yet in the World Series. And yes, Carlos Correa only has one hit in the World Series so far. But still, you can look up and down that lineup and still fear those guys. And so that's going to be the key for the Houston Astros is if you get those guys hitting, you have a scenario like what happened in Game 2 where you get like a walk, a walk, Tucker comes up, he knocks a guy around, Yuli Gurriel comes up, he gets like an RBI ground out. So, like, they always just keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving. Bullpen is good enough. Like, Phil Maton giving you significant innings to get out of the seventh inning jam was fine. But, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. And the Atlanta Braves are undermatched. And this is the why I think that the Astros will be better. Not that, like, the Braves weren't awesome in game one, but... They faced a good starting pitcher. Couldn't right, they left a lot of runners in scoring position? I will say, but outside of the Travis Darno homer and also dry, scoring both of their runs in the first like seven innings of the game, like other than that, it was like yeah, Freeman might have a single, Soler might have a single. They didn't really have much of an answer after that, and part of that is just getting beat up uh, by a really good performance from Jose Urikiri. Because again, I didn't think that the Astros pitching staff was as big of a problem. But now Valdez has had an awesome start. Luis Garcia has had an awesome start in the CS. Um, and Framber Valdez had an awesome start in the CS game five. Uh, so the Astros are, they have pitchers who can do well and also might have the shortest start in the world, in a World Series game one since 2005 and give up a home run to the first batter of the game. Like those things might happen because the Astros don't really have a stud number one pitcher, but still things worked out okay for the Astros. With that being said, let's roll along with our friend Walter Mitchell for our Walter Mitchell Power Hour here on the Take It Easy podcast. And we won't have more baseball until Sunday, because there's no game on Thursday. We take Friday off. 
next podcast isn't until Sunday, so we will have two games to recap the next time we be back on the podcast. Does that mean 12 minutes of podcast on baseball instead of six minutes? Possibly. We'll have to find out later, won't we? And since obviously you are an Arizona Cardinals guy and the Cardinals might be playing the the Thursday night game of the year this week against the Devontae Adamless Green Bay Packers, I thought, why not we preview the game with Walter Mitchell? How about that? Let's go for it. So first and foremost, you have been watching 45 years of Arizona Cardinals football. Is this the best Arizona Cardinals team that you have ever watched? Wow, what a great question. Uh, I would say it's way more than 45 years of Cardinals football, but (laughs) you're being very kind. I started out in 1963 watching Larry Wilson on defense, became my idol. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean – the Cardinals teams of the 70s were, were pretty good uh, with Jim Hart and uh, Dan Deerdorf at tackle and Conrad Dobler um, at guard and Jackie Smith at tight end and Mel Gray at wide receiver and Terry Metcalf running back. That was a really good offensive team. The Cardinals' defense then was solid but not great. Um, they went they won the division, the, the NFC East, which they were playing in. They were in St. Louis then um, in the mid seventies, but uh, with Don Coriel is the great coach, but they lost to the Vikings in round one of the playoffs um, and up in uh, Minnesota. And uh, that was disappointing. So they never really advanced all that far um then of course you had the Kurt Warner um blaze of fire uh, again the cardinals were did not have a very stout defense i mean they were they were decent and opportunistic carlos dansby makes some plays here and there um but uh a team all the way to a super bowl so um that was really my my favorite team up until now. And I would have to say talent wise and leadership wise on both, on all three phases of the game, this is the most talented um, roster I've seen and well-constructed roster I've seen from the Cardinals in my, um, since 1963. (laughs) (laughs) So going back almost 60 years now. And I, (laughs) I am clearly not the football historian that you are, but I kind of realized that a lapse in my history was not really knowing the Arizona Cardinals because I had just associated three decades of never making the playoffs. Like that was just kind of where I put the Cardinals in there, except for the one Aenis Williams year back in the 90s. Like I did, I just associated there's no real playoff appearances for the Cardinals. Right. Yeah, I mean, people ask who was the most successful Cardinals head coach. And uh, I surprise everyone and say Ken Wisenhunt. I mean, I think his playoff record was 7-4. and four, And he's the only coach to get the team to a Super Bowl 
in the modern era. Um, Don Coriel didn't win in the playoffs. Vince Tobin won a game against the Cowboys, but and then Bruce Arians went one and two in the playoffs, um, with the one win being over those Packers that nearly was lost after Rodgers completed a Hail Mary. And then the Cardinals got the the flip and the coin toss. <laughs> they got the Hail Larry. On, uh... <laughs> that was such a fun game. That was such a fun playoff game. Uh... Yeah, I'm still so thankful that Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers didn't decide to go for two after Jeff Janis caught that just amazing um, Hail, Mer- Hail Mary, um, where Bruce Arians decided to rush full house instead of cover. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, Rodgers just swum right around the, the, all the pressure to flush to his left and just threw up a perfect dime. Um, but had they gone for two points to win the game right there, I don't know. Um, Uh, that would have made me very, very nervous, particularly when you're sitting there thinking, oh, good, we got this wrapped up. (laughs) Except, no, Because all all the math in the NFL is changing now where people are incentivized to go for two points more. And I think if you had replayed the game today, there's probably a better chance that the Packers go for two just because the numbers say that that if you have Aaron Rodgers and you need to get two yards, then you've got a better than 50% chance of getting those two yards. And then if you go to overtime, you may never touch the ball like Larry Fitzgerald did to them in overtime. Right. Exactly. So uh, they have analytics and percentages and all that. I just know that the shock factor of, of the Packers getting that hail Mary was so, um, you know, intense that it wouldn't have surprised me if the defense just didn't know how to handle it emotionally for the Packers going on, uh, on, on, you know, for the two pointer, but I'm just glad that they didn't. I'm glad that the Cardinals won the toss, but that turned out to be as much as Arians had the best winning percentage of regular season, regular seasons, he only was able to win one playoff game in his five years. And, you know, by addition of all or nothing, that was, you know, um, a disappointment. And, you know, he had some good teams there in the first three years. They won a ton of games. Um, and he cats off to him a regular season and they really got it going. But, um, but if you looked at the Cardinals defense in the NFC championship game and, 2015 cam newton had a career day uh, you know um and basically um they moved the ball at will and it didn't help that the cardinals uh, had like six turnovers in the game and you know it was it was a 49 to 15 beatdown. down um, yeah. <laughs> so, i always i always mess with my brother over that one because he's a He's a big Arizona Cardinals fan now that the the Chargers are no longer in San Diego, and uh, right. 
he pivoted naturally there. And so the, the Panthers game is something I can always hold over him of just, that was, that was the first time he really got to enjoy a Cardinals playoff run right. because they were, uh, I think they were the number two seed that year. If I remember correctly, I think they got a first round by and that it ended in just horrific fashion. And yeah. They haven't been. I mean, this year is going to be their next playoff run, but they haven't been to the playoffs since then, of course. So, right, the, right. the, the Panthers one is is the brutal, sour taste in your mouth if you're a Cardinals fan and you don't have that much playoff success. Yeah, it was. It just felt like a house of cards. It all came, came, you know, falling down, and then there was a, you know, a, since then it's been a seven year hangover. Um, no playoff yeah. appearances and, um, you know, so, but he, when you look at Cliff Kingsbury, uh, I was never caught up in his college record because I knew that it's really tough to win at Texas Tech. It's tough to recruit there because it's in the remote part of the state. Um, and most of the, you know, high level four and five star um recruits want to go to the more popular um big it's the time. same problem that nebraska and missouri have if you're texas tech you're four and five star recruits you're kind of like the plan f for a lot of them so you're relegated to trying to recruit a lot of three-star recruits to try and play an offense that requires elite athletes yes and you know and but and so but I mean, it Kingsbury was hired because he grooms quarterbacks and he's got a track record of doing that. And, you know, when he was hired, the emergence of Patrick Mahomes as, as was, gave credence to, uh, you know, Kingsbury's prowess of developing quarterbacks and, and, um, you know, the Cardinals knew that they had the number one draft pick and they were either going to stick with Josh Rosen or there was, I think, from the beginning, a plan that, you know, if we wanted to take Kyler Murray, we're going to do it. And, of course, Cliff Kingsbury uh, was hot on Kyler even back at Texas Tech. I mean, Kingsbury did everything he could to try to recruit Kyler to Texas Tech. But... um you know, take the and and Cliff admitted himself for him to run his level of offense um, at Texas Tech, which was highly successful. I mean, scoring forty some odd points a game. Um, I mean that K raid. Uh, he had to take his best athletes and put them on the offensive side of the ball. So, um, in order to make it work and to give his quarterback a chance, um, the best possible chance. So, you know, I. I never looked at that and said, oh, well, he can't coach um, because of this college record. I mean, look at Texas Tech. They just fired his Kingsbury successor, Matt Wells, of uh, going basically a similar record, not winning very many games in the Big 12 and being like f five games under 500, five or six games under 500 in three years or two and a half years, whatever you want to call this. Uh, so, you know, it's a tough place to win now. I mean, people back in the day 
Yes, he did, but not, I mean, he didn't win any big 12 championships or anything like that. Um, and, uh, you know, his teams were a little better, better rounded, but, you know, um, what Cliff is proving now is that if you develop a quarterback in the NFL and you can push him along and get the maturity from him that you need and put him in a system as, with all kinds of talent, then, uh, good things can happen eventually. I mean, I, I've been sort of arguing with Cardinal fans for two and a half years that, you know, this wasn't going to happen overnight and people were impatient. I, I'm not sure exactly why, but except that Cardinals have been so frustrated by losing for so long that, you know, they want, they want to turn around faster than one would normally expect. But for Cliff to be in his third year, and seven and zero have this team at seven and zero um, is quite a testament to his perseverance and his ability to um, run a good program. And I mean these these Cardinals come to play every week, uh, and they have even the last two years. I mean I counted only three games that got away from them um, in Kingsbury's first two seasons, which after inheriting the worst team in the NFL in in uh 2018 um that's saying something i mean i got to give the guy credit let me ask you a question around this first well actually first of all let me make a texas tech joke real quick because it took a once oh in a it took a once in a lifetime offensive revolution in the air raid which I would i attest is the greatest offensive innovation of the last 40 years in football it took a once-in-a-lifetime innovation to make Texas Tech good at football. It's like a, a glitch in the matrix to miraculously get Texas Tech to the number one ranking or number two ranking in the country or whatever they were during that season where Michael Crabtree scores the winning touchdown against Texas, and Texas hasn't been the same since. Right. It took once-in-a-lifetime once offensive revolution and Mike Leach to make Texas Tech good. But now I'll ask you the serious question, which is, you've been watching football longer than I. So is this the best group of quarterbacks that make your team better that we've ever seen in the NFL? Yes, because of their athleticism, their ability to extend plays, um, and put pressure on. I mean, you know, there's so many good quarterbacks now and, but the common denominator for most of them, I mean, has an uncanny knack of extending plays. I mean, he's having an off year. I I remember you and I talked about this on our preseason preview, as I said, that the Chiefs may struggle because when you blow up an offensive line, you know, on paper it can look good, but in reality it takes so many reps and off. It's like a it's coaching offensive line is like a play rehearsal every day um, in practice. I mean, you got to get every guy on the same page and this, that, and um, you know, it's a coordination that takes time and, and, uh, and reps and, you know, and familiarity, and, you know, you on paper, you can stick in good guy, you know, talented guys in there, but until they work together, I mean, that's been part of it. And then the defense has really fallen off. So, you know, this can happen. But I also have a theory about that is that 
I think teams that go deep into the playoffs multiple years tend to get worn down. I mean, I, I think it takes so much out of the players physically and emotionally that they know the grind is, you know, that another long grind is ahead of them. And I think that at times, you know, it, it it's tough to sustain that unless you have a Tom Brady and a Bill Belichick, you know, Brady on one side of the ball and Bill Belichick game side of the ball. Um, you know, it's really tough for teams to sustain um, excellence in the NFL today. That's why I think the Patriots records will never be broken. Um, because, yeah, I don't, I don't think you know, there's any chance. I mean, I don't think yeah, I mean, chance. this is uncanny. I mean, like winning the division 12 out of 13 years. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I just, the parody in the NFL, that's what I love about the NFLs. It gives every fan and every team a chance to dream because, you know, every year you have the draft and you can, you can, you can fix your team in a hurry, um, making some astute, you know, free agent signings and, and, and developing your young players. And, you know, a quarterback today, I mean, look at these quarterbacks. I mean, um, you know, Dak Prescott is uh, playing at an elite level right now. I mean, you have Kyler Murray, who's uh, right up there, um, you know, leading a, a once woeful or no record um, and uh, putting up big time yards and plus points in, in six out of their seven games um, and some quality opponents. I mean, they, Put thirty on Tennessee. They put thirty on the Rams. Thirty on the Browns. All on away games, um, which was impressive. And you know, um, and then you have. I mean, I don't know how you prepare for that guy. And and Jackson's clearly improved his passing. I mean, he's he's uh, amic and so difficult to defend. I mean, you put that kind of pressure on on defenses. I mean, wow. So, and then, you know, Joe Burrow, I mean, let's not sleep on him and he's got better feet than people realize. Uh, but man, can he sling it? And he's so accurate. Coming out of LSU. Uh, and, you know, so you get the young quarterback today that you can build around and typically it's going to be a good athlete and someone who puts pressure on the defense in multiple ways and, you know, it can take you a long way. The thing I've found most interesting about the fact that there's more quarterbacks that make your team better than there've ever been before is that they're right. popping up in places that don't usually have quarterbacks. And I find that so interesting. Right. All these tortured franchises for decades who, if you assume that like drafting a quarterback is a crapshoot and like everyone gets lucky in terms of which one is going to be good and which one isn't, if there's only, you know, eight quarterbacks a decade that are good or eight quarterbacks every five years that come into the league that are good, right. then you've got a one in four chance. But if there's 16 quarterbacks that are good now, if, <laughs> if, car is the cutoff point on good quarterbacks then there's 16 good quarterbacks in the nfl right now that means across a decade you've got a 50 percent chance of getting one of those quarterbacks and so the browns who haven't had a quarterback in 30 years have a good quarterback 
the Bills, who haven't had a good quarterback in 30 years, have a really good quarterback now. Yes. The Cardinals, who haven't really had a quarterback in 30 years. Right. Kurt Warner was pretty good, but Kurt Warner was a free agent pickup for a few years. Like The Cardinals sure. have a quarterback for a decade for the first time in their franchise's sure. history. Yep. And I, I find that fascinating that so many franchises that have been so tortured and in trying to hit on that now can find quarterbacks that at least make them respectable. And also right. the teams that can't figure out the quarterback position are now perpetually bad for longer than they've ever been before because other right. teams have that position down. Right. Yeah. I think that the Cardinals really have put out a blueprint as to, um, you know, for, for team, you know, for poor teams to take a strong look at. And that is, you know, even if you drafted a quarterback in the first round, if you're, if you're losing and then you have a chance to draft a quarterback, you think is a better, better player. I think today you ought to do it. Um, plus pair him up with the best, most natural coach for him. And so the combination of, of Murray with Kingsbury was, uh, you know, was really a key to pushing the Cardinals in a positive direction. Um, and, you know, if, for example, I mean, you know, Sam Darnold was benched in Carolina um, this past week, and they say he's going to start the next game and whatever. But one gets the sense that Sam Darnold is is NFL not for long in Carolina. Well, would you like um, a Sam Darnold stat while we brought it up here? That was, uh, I think it was my personal favorite of the weekend, even though the yeah. internet didn't like it very much. Yeah. So Sam Darnold in the past three games. So the Giants game, the Cowboys, was it the Cowboys? It was the Giants game, the Eagles game, and... Uh, I forgot who they lost to the week, the not this week, the week before. But yeah. going back to the Eagles game, Sam Darnold had the seventh most pass attempts of any quarterback in the NFL. He averaged 34 pass attempts a game and only threw 160 yards per game in those three wow. games. Only Davis Mills and Justin Fields had fewer passing yards. And yet wow. Sam Darnold still had the 10th most passing attempts. Wow. Or what was it? Seventh, I think. Seventh top 10 right. in pass attempts while being 30th in passing yards. <laughs> well, here's an interesting scenario because when you think of it, I think the hot coach on that staff is not Matt Rule, it's Joe Brady. And um, because of, I mean, Rule's a heck of a coach, don't get me wrong. And he has things going in the right direction there. However, I mean, you know, if I'm a young team, if I'm a team looking for a new coach with a, you know, and it has a chance to draft one of the best quarterbacks, I think Joe Brady would be near the top of my list, if not at the top, um, because he checks all the boxes and he's young. He's, you know, um, he's a quarterback developer and a great play caller. You know, he knows what what he's doing. So, I mean, I think that the, the the Panthers have a difficult decision because 
I mean, I think Brady's going to be gone sooner rather than later. The question would be then, well, if you like Brady that much and you want to get a new quarterback, do you let go of Matt Rule and and hang on and promote Brady to, to head coach? Um, knowing that, you know, some of the, you know, like the Chicago Bears will be out there next year looking for a, for a coach to match up with Justin Fields. Or it could be the Rosen scenario where the the Bears like a quarterback in the draft more than Justin Fields and would be willing to trade Fields in order to take this this guy who, if that guy was Joe Brady's choice, you know, like Murray was Kingsbury's choice. So matching up your coach, I think today offensive head coaches are so in vogue because of the head coach quarterback relationships and, and the importance of that, you know? And uh, so, I mean, and there are other offensive gurus out there. I'm mean, Ryan Sable in um, Dayball in, um, in, in, uh, in Buffalo is on the cusp. Um, I, I, the job he's done with, with Allen has been, I mean, he'll be, he'll be right at the top of those lists, but, pairing up the quarterback with the coach from the get-go, like the coach is invested already in that quarterback, and that's his choice. I mean, you saw what happened with Sean McVay in L.A. He inherited Jared Goff, and Goff, and he he did the best he could with Goff, but it just after it became clear that Goff was limiting McVay's vision of an offense and uh he wanted to move on and so now you know McVay chose his own guy in Matthew Stafford but Stafford's not young anymore so I don't know how many years you're going to get out of him so the ideal scenario would would have been from the start is to pair McVay with one of the young guys and have them around like you said for a decade or or more um and I like that you also said what I said because I was also in the camp of they should trade Jared Goff and draft a rookie. Now, did I say that rookie was Daniel Jones? Yes, but we're going to ignore that part. But they should have traded Jared Goff and drafted a rookie to pair with Sean McVay the whole way through because Jared Goff just didn't develop very well after that. Yeah, and you know, but at that point, McVay came in and you know Goff was taken so high you. you you know, you, just, you want to see if he can cash in on him. McVay did a great job. He got him to a Super Bowl. And give Groff credit. He played well in that offense. But it became clear as teams prepared for the McVay offense that they knew how to get to Goff um, and key moments. And, you know, and it, and it frustrated McVay. And, you know, he wanted to make a change. So, I mean, but. But if you get the the coach and the quarterback together and then can start building around and of course doing it when you have that four year window of the quarterback being a rookie is getting your core players in place during that time. I mean, you can get this thing on track and then be like the Packers are every year with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they're perennial Pro Bowl contenders. I mean, yeah, how in a universe great is where that the, as a it, fan? You know, to have your team in it every year. 
in a universe where the Patriots don't exist, the Packers are that dynastic team that we look at and say, wow, it's unbelievable how good they've been for so long. And right. even with a big contract quarterback, they still find a way to, to, to remain good just because you have that quarterback. And sure. that quarterback helps elevate the players around them. Hence the fact that yeah. they can lose Corey Lindsley and lose David Bakhtiari and because of the threat of Rodgers passing, Aaron Jones is having a – or the Packers as a whole are having a better rushing season this year than they did last year without maybe the sure. best center and maybe the best left tackle in the NFL. Sure. And, you know, Vance Joseph, the Cardinals defensive coordinator, said it great yesterday. I mean, there's nothing Aaron Rodgers has not seen. And he will know pre-snap where he thinks he's going to beat you, regardless of who he's got around him in this game and you know he's got enough weapons to to be successful and Aaron Jones is probably at the top of that list um guy is is just what an all-purpose running back and hard runner he is so I mean the the fact and like Brady is doing at age 45 I mean it's just incredible I mean Brady looks you know like a renaissance man I mean he's throwing dimes left and right I mean, he's got more talent around him than he ever has, particularly at the, you know, he's got a great offensive line. He's got, you know, all-stars, all-star receivers at every, I mean, these, even their tight ends are deep. And I mean, OJ Howard, who wouldn't want him? You know, Cameron Brait. I mean, they've got, and Rob Gronkowski. I mean, how's that for a tight end room? I mean, their wide receiver room is is extraordinary. Um, so, you know, you have the quarterback in place, and I'm sure the Bucks are going to do everything they can to hold on to Brady as long as they can. Unlike the Patriots, who got you know let him go, which to me still is one of the all time head scratchers. I, I just you know <laughs> just can't imagine how the Patriots could left let Tom Brady leave the building is just mind-boggling. He didn't age like everyone else. He was 42. He was going to be 43. He doesn't age like everyone else, except he was aging like everyone else. He had a worse completion percentage than Mitchell Trubisky. He did age like everyone else, and then he didn't. I don't understand any of it anymore, but I have been starting to read um, Seth Wickersham's book about the Patriot way. It's super fascinating um, because we don't know, like no one knows how it ended up happening. And the way it happened was by the, by the luck of the draw, you found one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history who slipped through the cracks at a time where quarterback evaluations were changing. And you happen to pair him with a coach that, stuck to his guns on a system that was different in a sport that is prides itself on innovation. The Patriots did something that was totally different. And that combination is just luck that I don't know we're ever going to see again and be able right. to be sustained for so long. And right. at the same time, they catch so many breaks that help them win championships that not even Mahomes can catch like Mahomes could be Super Bowl right. at this point, if he wanted to keep pace with Brady and Sometimes you just don't catch the lucky breaks like that. And so I, I don't know if we'll ever see, what was it? What did I say before? 15 conference championships, right. something like that. I don't, I don't think right. we're ever going to see that again, but it's just that lucky combination of getting 
that innovative system with the that quarterback who happened to fall through the cracks. Right. Yeah. I mean, lucky breaks too in the sense that for all those years they were able to hold on to Josh McDaniels and maybe one of the greatest offensive line coaches of all time in Dante Scarnecchia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the to have those guys in place, I mean, we know that McDaniels took a two-year hiatus to Denver or wherever, two or three years. Where he, yes, he that the Tebow year. That's right. I forgot right. about that. Against <laughs> matching, you know, going from Brady to Tebow. Um, you know, it's just, wow. I mean, the disparity of accuracy just in itself. You mean going from the best quarterback ever to maybe the worst quarterback to ever play professional football. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, and to McDaniel's credit, I mean, at least he got Tebow out and running and doing things that he he was capable of doing but um but yeah i mean it's just it's who you wind up with and i mean look at bruce arians the quarterbacks he's he's wound up with i mean peyton manning ben roethlisberger andrew luck carson palmer and now tom brady I mean, talking about a who's who of, I mean, all those guys are, you know, with the exception of Luck, who his early retirement, I think, precludes him from a Hall of Fame nomination. Um, but, but he was on pace. He was on track for it. He was certainly on pace. And, uh, you know, but... Um, yeah, Carson's not going to get in, but he's close. Like, he had a close enough career where people will talk about it. Maybe 40 years from now, we'll put Carson Palmer right. in, but he was close. Well, and, and Arians is no risk it, no biscuit offensive, like zero protections, you know, minimum pass protections, you know, took its toll on his, on all those quarterbacks. Um, and was taking its toll on Brady until the brilliant decision was made at the bye week last year when they were seven and five and sort of reeling that, you know, let's just sort of turn this offense over to Tommy. And, uh, you know, after that, Arian said, I, I'm not doing shit. <laughs> He's like, you know, we're smart enough to let Tommy run the offense, not, you know, which they didn't do in new England, you know, um, and, yeah, I mean, uh, Vance Joseph said of Aaron Rodgers, and it's true of Tom Brady, they're a coach who can pass the ball. I mean, what better combination do you have? You know, guys that have seen everything, have, have seen every coverage disguise um, imaginable. Um, you know, guys who have... Uh, you know, just know the game so well and automatically that you have the advantage there and then can check out a play and basically can design their own offenses and be the catalyst like Kurt Warner was from the Cardinals. He took over that offense from Ken Wisenhunt. There was a shift there where he he just said, let let me do this. And um, Wisenhunt was... Um, amenable to doing it, and boy, Warner 
I mean, Warner had some of the greatest game plans I have ever seen um, from any any team. Uh, I remember that year, the 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 year after the Super Bowl in the last week of the season, we're playing the Packers and um, Cardinals at home got wonked. I mean, Aaron Rodgers just crushing the Packers. They get beat by like 35 points. And it was last game of the season. The Cardinals already clinched. So they took Warner out as a precaution. And Warner literally took notes on the sideline um, watching the, the, the Green Bay defense. And because he knew the very next week the Packers were coming back. I mean, it looked like they were coming back for mm-hmm. um, the first round of the wild card round. Okay. So, and then that game, the game plan that he threw at the Packers, I mean, that game was the most exciting display of quarterbacking on both sides that I have ever seen. Going back and forth between Warner and Rodgers. Touchdown, touchdown. Answering with touchdowns. I mean, that was an epic game. Both quarterbacks playing lights out. And uh, you just kept wondering, could Warner sustain this? I mean, the Green Bay defense was way better than the Cardinals defense that season. But but Warner was just just dialing up big-time play after big-time play. And the Cardinals ended up prevailing in that game um, amazingly. Uh, but it was, you know, a high-scoring affair that had everything in it. And, you know, yeah. um, you guys kicked off Aaron Rodgers' origin story. You guys, you guys get to be at the forefront of Aaron Rodgers' villain story because after that, he goes on, wins the Super Bowl, and then uh, goes fifteen and one the next season and never really looks back after that. Like, right, it was that game, and then all of a sudden, Aaron Rodgers becomes Aaron Rodgers. Right, exactly, and you know he's. He's something else, man. I mean, he's he's just an extraordinary talent. He's got everything it takes to be a superstar. And, you know, he's doing it year after year. It's just amazing to think. I was thinking of this last night, of how this season, you know, how you and I discussed this all through the offseason, how close Rodgers was from insisting that, He'll never play for the Packers again. Yeah. It's such a weird situation right now because I don't know what to do. Like Rodgers has basically gone back to kind of – I don't know what would, what reporting and what wasn't was there, but Rodgers is excellent at controlling his own narrative because it's – I mean, I guess football does this a little bit, but it's as if that never happened anymore. Like Aaron Rodgers is the pro Packer guy. Aaron Rodgers is just like basically pretending like nothing ever happened. And it's confusing me because I'm like, is he still going to leave at the end of the season? Like it, it's very hard to gauge that. But I assume that they're still planning to depart after that, at which point, you know, these regular season games don't matter. And the Cardinals are kind of playing with house money in on Thursday against the Cardinals. But I just don't understand what's happened anymore with the Packers. I know they're a good team. Like, 
I just did. I just Aaron Rodgers has confounded me because he's gone in the opposite direction of where we all thought he was ever since he negotiated his way back to camp, which I guess is just the professionalism, but without a doubt. And they'd be crazy. Like with Brady, with the Patriots, they'd be crazy to let him leave the building. Absolutely crazy. I mean, mean, it it kind of reminds me of what I've always said about schools is the kids are great. The adults screw everything up. Um, (laughs) And I mean, the, the Packers management is doing everything it can to screw everything up. I mean, you got such a good thing. You know, you hold on to it. Yeah. Rogers may be stubborn. He may be tough to deal with at times, but man, I mean, when you have excellence at that position and it looks like their young coach is a good fit for him. um, You know, it seems like they get along you know, well, and, and, um, you know, but basically because Rogers is doing his thing, a la Brady and, you know, it's Rogers show and he's, he's calling the shots. He, this is a case where the quarterback knows more than the coaches. And if you are in the Packers front office, the thing I've said the whole way is you better be right. (laughs) You better be right about Jordan love. If you're going to make this move, you better be right about how replaceable some of these people can be if you get the $60 million in cap space back. You better be right about your choice here because that is easily a fireable offense if you end up driving him out the building. And you don't have the decades of success protection that Bill Belichick has to not put himself on the hot seat after going, you know, what what is it this year? They're going to be what, like eight and nine this year, maybe. So that's what, like 15 and 18 across two seasons. Like you at least have the protect. You, or he has the protection. Y'all don't have the protection if you're in the Packers front office. So you better be right about your decision on this one. Well, I don't think Jordan Love stands a chance. I mean, it's like whoever's going to succeed Bill Belichick in New England. I mean, you know, I don't think, Jordan Love is ever going to be the kind of quarterback of Aaron Rodgers' caliber. That's I mean, you can true. Just, That's true. just see. But, yeah. I mean, Love Love is a good athlete. And he's you know, uh, but um, have you watched him play so far? Do you get the sense? Wow, this guy's going to be amazing. From what people have said, it seems like it's not like you have reports coming out. It's like, yeah, I know we got this Aaron thing, but look at this guy, man. He looks fantastic. There there haven't been those reports, but also I don't think that means Jordan Love can't be a great quarterback. I think it just means Jordan Love is not going to be Aaron Rodgers. But if Jordan Love is Baker Mayfield, then I think you could look up and make the argument, yeah, they kind of – they did plan pretty well for a contingency plan afterwards. It's only if Jordan Love flames out spectacularly after where the Packers definitely made a mistake, and then they get to be perpetually 6-10 and for the next five years. Well, whoever succeeds Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay is going to be under such enormous scrutiny and pressure. They better be well-equipped. To handle it because, you know, I mean, that's why hats off to Mac Jones in New England for for the the job that he's doing. I mean, 
This is the other thing that I say a bunch with this, which is you never want to be the guy who replaces the guy. You want to be the guy who replaces the guy who replaces the guy. Right. You, you want to be the person who comes secondarily down the road. You don't want to be the person who immediately replaces the guy because then all of a sudden you get compared to them. It's better when you're the right. person who replaces the person who's already gone down because now sure. the, the burden of expectation is gone. It's, expecting you to be great because we've always been great and then you see them not be great and it's like okay we're willing to be a little more patient at least that seems to be the case in a lot of these all-time greats well i think it helped too there was a year of separation you know there was the cam newton year um that took some of the pressure off and by all rights according to the coaches mac jones came in this year and beat him out Mm-hmm. Had a better camp and was doing things in the offense better. Um, and you know, it was as simple as that. Is that oh, I'm watching Mac Jones now. I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it. I mean, he's not great. <laughs> he's not a great quarterback, but he's better than Cam Newton. Like, I get it. <laughs> Who's- I'm starting to see it now. I'm starting to see what we were we were being told before. Mac Jones has been a very good quarterback. I mean, I'll tell you this. He's better than uh, Joe Burrow as a rookie. So far? Uh, uh, that's tough. I mean, I, it, the only thing that concerns me with Mac Jones is just I haven't seen him open up an offense yet. It feels very – it reminds me a lot of what Tua did last year with the Dolphins. That's the comparison point I have to it. It, it reminds me a lot of Tua's first six or seven games in Miami. Well, the Patriots and, and opening up an offense are a bit of a contradiction. Yeah, and that's because again, that's, they that's not Mac Jones's fault. There's they nothing run Mac a, Jones can do with a that. controlled power running game with play action designed to beat teams over the middle. And um, you know, that's Mac Jones's game forte. Uh, he had that at Alabama and you know, he's not he doesn't have the rocket arm that Burrow has. But he's just as accurate on the throws that he he has to make within that within that system, and he's only a rookie. Um, you know, uh, I think he's a really good fit for them, and he's only going to get better. Um, but I think he's got the mental toughness to go with be, being able to handle um, being able to ha- handle that pressure. You know, I, I've been so impressed with him. I'll tell you. Uh, see, in in today's NFL is so important. And the thing about Jones that I really loved at Alabama, and I'm seeing in the with the Patriots is he has an uncanny knack, as Brady does, of getting the ball out of his hand at the precise time you have to. Mm-hmm. With accuracy, okay, I think those, that, I, yeah. Sorry, that ahead, combination then. of getting the ball out of your hand at the precise moment you need to, when players are cut, receivers are coming off their breaks, and throwing it to the spots. Uh, boy, that gives you a real good chance um, against anyone, because um, windows, you know, close so tightly in the NFL. If you've got the accuracy, you can fit it in there and deliver it on time. 
you could the part that I think is changing in the modern NFL is that I think that's the baseline now. I think having that is a baseline skill set where if you don't have a level of accuracy in the short field, then you will not be an NFL quarterback. So there, maybe there were people who thought Mac Jones couldn't be an NFL quarterback, which is totally fair. Like if that's the bar that's being set that he's not he's not a backup in the NFL, he can be a starter then that's a, a victory in the start of his career. I feel like that's a baseline skill set that every starting quarterback has to have because even, you know, in the right offense, I think right now the longest streak without an interception is Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz right now holds the longest streak in the NFL without throwing an interception. Right. Right. Only because that, that shuffle pass he had was ruled a fumble on Sunday Night Football. But oh, still, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but still, Carson Wentz, I think it's Carson Wentz, and before that it was Matt Ryan, had the longest streaks without throwing an interception because I feel like accuracy is kind of a baseline. And it's the thing that's getting Mahomes in trouble, and it's getting Trevor Lawrence in trouble, and Zach Wilson, and Justin Fields. It's just that, you know, turnovers are the, – the math changes so where turnovers mean more now, and people realize that, that turnovers can be as costly because – 70 yards given back the other way for Tua when he's at the goal line totally changes the game for the Dolphins. And it's, I feel like, yes, if Mac Jones can be super accurate, that's good. But if he can't do anything else, then at the, then you've got, you've got a, a Teddy Bridgewater type, I guess you've got a Jared Goff type. Like I, I don't know. I just haven't seen him do it yet. And that's the part that I'm like, why haven't we seen him open up the field yet? Is that just the Patriots are going to be stubborn? Because if he can do it and you're not doing it in the, I mean, they did it when they got into desperation against the Cowboys, I guess they opened it up a little bit. Yeah. Even still, I'm like, if if he can do it and we're not seeing it, then and part of it's development too. I'm not saying like he's it's early enough where time can change things, but I'm like, if he can't, if he can do it and you're not opening up the offense to give yourself the best options every time, uh, that's a bit of a failure on the Patriots part offensively, because you're not, you're not maximizing the offensive, the potential you have in the offense. You're limiting yourself to only power running, which is usually what bad teams do. (laughs) Bad teams try and mask their inefficiencies by going to an overwhelming power running game. And yes, it's also the Patriots' strength. I just, I, I want to know. <laughs> and there's more time to figure it out. I'm just like, can we, can we figure out what Mac Jones has? Could we like let him do more than just throw very accurately? Because I feel like every quarterback in the NFL and backup quarterback can complete 12 of 16 passes now in a stretch during a game. They won't always do it, but I think they theoretically can if you average six yards per pass attempt or something like that. I think that's just how talented skill players are and how much the rules have changed coming off the line for wide receivers as well. Okay. Um, you know, I take a look too at the skill players around Mac Jones. He's got good running backs, um, two good tight ends. The wide receivers are, are decent. But I wouldn't say there is a wide receiver on there in their program right now who's potentially elite. So I mean, and he had three elite receivers 
at Alabama in the Jalen's and, you know, with, uh, oh my God, Waddle and Smith and, um, you know, um, Riggs. And I mean, he had an all-star team back there. So the Patriots would have to keep trying to add a, a premier wide receiver of, you know, the Alabama kids type stature um, mm-hmm. to help more than what they're doing currently. But most of their in receivers. Fairness, yeah. In fairness to are, the Patriots, they have like a, a bottom four or bottom fourth offense in terms of talent. And they're 15th in DVOA this year. So yeah. what they have on the field, they are overachieving given Correct. the talent that with they a, have. With a rookie quarterback. So, so in and, fairness and, to the Patriots, the strategy is working better. It, they're they're right. overachieving with lesser talent this season. Right. Yeah. I, I So, you know, it's going to take some time. But I think the earlier are a point in a very positive direction. I think he's a good fit for their system. And, um, you know, so. And that's the thing too, is that you know, system matters, obviously, and um, you know what you're doing, uh, what kind of offense you want to run, um, just d- dictates. That's why I think the Patriots pounced on on Mac when he was available at at uh, fifteen, when most people thought he'd be gone earlier. But he's not the big, you know, he's just not the mobile quarterback that teams covet these days. I mean, he's not a multi-dimensional running threat. Can tuck it in, and I mean, he's he's got good feet, but he's not a. Um, but he's got the head. I think and the head's the most important part. The head and the technique. I think he's got that down. Um, He doesn't have the huge arm, but neither did Brady. And, you know, I mean, he's got a very good arm and an accurate one. So I think that could take him a long way. But there's still going to be a place for quarterbacks like him who are, you know, tough kids mentally who can deliver the ball on time and accurately. And, you know, you can win with guys like that, particularly if your defense is good. And, you know, so, I mean, it, these quarterbacks are still going to come in all sizes and packages. And like you said, you know, if you can string together, you know, um, high percentage completions, you know, you can take, take an offense a long way. Mac Jones so far this year is it has a 93 quarterback rating, which is slightly above the NFL average. The NFL average is 91. So he's been a top 20 quarterback early in his career. And that's a big yeah. victory for the Patriots because we assume he'll get better. It's not a guarantee, but we presume that he's not a fully formed quarterback at this point. Well, he's so, seven games in, right? He is seven games. I, I just yep. meant because he's a, he's an older quarterback. He's going to be tw- – uh, uh, no, he just turned 23. 
So he's an older rookie even still, but we presume it's not a Jared Goff situation where by 25 Goff was a fully formed quarterback. We presume Mac Jones will get better. So absolutely. Absolutely. I'm amazed he's done as well as he has so far. Yeah. Uh, Especially given the the comparison points to his fellow rookies that have not been doing as well, not doing as good, which is interesting, but I think that's just always going to be the case. It's the reason why Trubisky got chased out of Chicago, even though he could probably be a starter for a bad team still, like the, a bad team like the Chicago Bears, is just because he wasn't Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. Yeah, yep. I mean, there was ability there. Just, uh, yeah. Um, I think that that was a classic case, too, of, you know, like management, deciding on a quarterback without having the right coach in place. Um, and by the time they got a coach who's probably capable of getting out of them, it was too late. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what exactly it would have been. Cause I know like some places people can transcend the talent that they've been given, but I I'm always fascinated to know what it would have been like if Trubisky had gone to the Texans at 12 would it have gone differently for him would he have he he wouldn't have been great I don't think but I think it would have gone a little differently for Trubisky yeah it so much depends on the coach who drafts you and if you have if there's you know you hear these things all the time Kyle of the coach wanted x quarterback but the but the scouts said no we're going with y (laughs) <laughs> you're going to make it work. And, you know, imagine how things could have been different with with uh, a different coach or with a different player. But, uh, you know, I mean, Trubisky is very talented. He's physically gifted. He can make all the throws. I mean, uh, you know, but that was a classic case where you know, I don't think that, he stood much of a chance because I'm not sure his coaches ever believed in him that strongly to begin with. And I don't think they were prepared to um, maximize his talents to use them accordingly. Um, I don't, uh, he had flashes of, I mean, actually last year when they got in the playoffs, he was playing well down the stretch. He had a couple playoff games um, over the last few years where I thought he played really well, and some bad breaks cost him. Um, but uh, are you talking about Trubisky? Yes, yes. <laughs> I always go and, the other way on that because I think they scored like eighteen combined points in those two playoff games, where I felt like they were trying to hide Trubisky for a good portion of it. Part of it, the Saints game, they were just totally outmatched because that team didn't belong yes. in the playoffs last year. Yeah. So, in yeah. fairness, there they just they were playing a team that was like significantly better than them, but it was still weird. I remember him making some throws on like some wheel routes that were right on the money. And I I thought he did some things there that made me sit up and go, wow, that was pretty impressive. Um, You know, but so much of this is comfortability and, and chemistry with, and knowing that your coach believes in you and is going to stick by you. And, 
you know, if I'm Sam Darnold in Carolina right now, I'm not sure I'm buying real estate. Um, I know that they wanted to trade for him um, and thought it was a good idea when they were missing it, when the Deshaun Watson situation wouldn't present itself. I mean, here are rumors now that the Panthers are making inquiries about Watson still, um, despite what's going on there. And the, Roger Goodell has said that they don't have enough info yet to make a ruling on Watson. Um, so that's up in the air, and it'll be interesting to see if something happens before next Tuesday or during Tuesday before the the trading deadline. So, but and then Watson, there's another guy with enormous talent, um, pretty much the entire package of what you want. Uh, course, I yeah, I find that know. whole situation kind of despicable. I I don't know right. why we're still doing the the Deshaun Watson trade stuff other than the trade deadlines coming and the NFL is presumably out on the morals game but I I just I'm baffled that this is still a thing that is right. going on right now but well I don't I, see I, how you can trade for him with it all this at stake um and you never know what the penalties are, penalties are going to be certainly I mean it looks pretty obvious that they're going to have to suspend the league will have to suspend them. I mean, you know, the league even sanctioned Bob Kraft for his, his, uh, involvement in a masseuse parlor. Well, the, the NFL is always going to be inconsistent with these morals things. And this is, again, if you need to go out, I know this is a longer podcast too, but, um, this thing is, this thing is always going to be impossible because the morals are going to be based on public perception. It reminds me in a different way of what happened with the Houston Astros scandal, where the punishments were based on public relations instead of actual infractions. But the NFL, the NFL suspended Ezekiel Elliott for far less for five games. I don't think that's going to be any indication of what happens with Watson because there is no, there is no rule book for this. They're kind of just what it. What can we get away with in terms of a punishment? Um, well, and still, I, still be, uh, still have the presumption that there is an accountability measure, and I don't oh, know what that number is going to be. Oh, I think the accountability from the NFL is going to be significant. Um, you know, they're uncovering all this. You know. Um, this sexual harassment that went on in, of female employees in, with the Washington Football Club. The league is very socially conscious right now. Um, you know, how it treats women. It's also a league that's trying to integrate women as referees and coaches. And um, they're really serious about this. And I think it's fantastic. So, you know, if there's credibility to, I mean, 20, 20 masseuses, um, you know, claiming the same thing that Watson, you know, put the moves on them and manipulated them. And, um, you know, it's going to, the shit's going to hit the fan. I mean, he's going to be out sizable games and he's going to be sanctioned big time if, you know, and the 
I guess the hearings don't begin until February or something. So everything's in limbo now, but the Texans aren't electing not to play him. And, you know, that says a lot right there. Um, I just don't know what it means. The part that's tough for me is I don't know what bringing the hammer down means. Cause I, I don't, I'm not like throwing a punishment out here. Cause I'm like, I can be moral arbiter on this, but if someone thinks that the, it should be a stronger punishment, probably agree. If someone thinks it's a lesser punishment, I would want to hear who it's coming from. If it, if it's a man, then I, I would kind of like feel like you're telling on yourself a little bit. If, if that's someone who thinks there should be a lesser punishment, but I just don't know what the bar is because this is an impossible situation to morally arbitrate. Like legal systems are, are having problems morally arbitrating this and, and counting on well, us and the NFL to try and do it is there is a no win situation for anyone involved. So I, I just don't well, know what it means at this point because he's already got means, one year of paid leave. What it means is abusive behavior towards women is not going to be tolerated in any shape or form, and, you know, the league's going to come down hard. Then why are um, we trading for Deshaun Watson with the ongoing legal situation? Well, that's why that's nobody. That's why nobody's made a trade. Well, right? the, according to the report from John McClain yesterday, that yeah. the deal is basically in place, but now they're working with Roger Goodell to try and settle the legal matter, which I would have felt like Deshaun Watson can't really settle that that quickly. And this is this is, again, the legal side of it, where what does money represent in the legal matter? It's not what the money signifies in terms of life changing dollars. It's what it signifies in terms of closure, in a sense, or accountability of some sense for Deshaun Watson. He can't settle that in a week and therefore he's not going to be traded or is he going to be traded or is the NFL going to try and backdoor this one? Cause technically they can't stop Steven Ross and I forgot Jackson's McNair. They technically can't stop them from making the trade because Deshaun Watson isn't in any kind of sanctions from the NFL. He's just in a purgatory. I don't understand why this is happening. Like if, if there is a, a zero tolerance, zero accountability measure, I don't know why we are having this conversation everywhere on talk. Right? More, more uncomfortable for me, not having the, the legal and moral conversation is having the football conversation across NFL media and across, and across NFL platforms, I guess. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't see how you can trade for them, but if the Dolphins do, I mean, they're running the risk. I mean, Goodell has said repeatedly, and he said reiterated it again yesterday, that they don't have enough info yet to be able to do anything with the situation. So, I mean, that's I not going to change though, like, in, NFL... in the day. That's not going to change. And so you've got, you know, if the Dolphins acquire him, they're going to have to deal with the repercussions I think also there's going to be a backlash, all kinds of backlash. I think, you know, you, there's going to be a stigma attached to this. There's no question about it. I mean, it'd be, it'd be one thing if it was one woman or two, but the fact that there are 20 some odd masseuses involved in this. That we uh, know of, of course. That, that we, we know are. of and are willing to, you know, to take them to court. Um, 
and stand up for the abuse to the abuse. Yeah, I, I, I don't see how this is going to help anybody, uh, particularly the Dolphins. I mean, if you're that desperate for a quarterback, wow. I mean, you already have Tua in the fold. He's in his second year, really, of getting playing time. Um, you know, I mean, I wouldn't blame the 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 Dolphins' poor start solely on Tua. They're not playing if well I were in any, to, any phase. If I were to play devil's advocate in this situation before we pivot to something else, like if you are willing to compromise all of your morals right. in this situation, if right. that is like I mean, people, to be fair, NFL owners and NFL executives have compromised their morals for more. Like right. they have compromised their morals for less and they have compromised their morals before for more in the past because right. it's the competitive advantage win at all costs mindset. So if you are willing to compromise all your morals, you're getting a quarterback for the next 15 years when that quarterback has never ever been available. At that age, that good, you're willing to compromise all your morals you can have that job for 15 years and you can have that job for a decade. If you're uh, Andrew, I forgot with a Chris Greer, sorry, Andrew Barry's the Browns guy, Chris Greer and maybe Brian Flores. Like if you're willing to compromise all your morals and risk blowing up your locker room and it works, you get that quarterback that never becomes available. Usually you have to like play the crapshoot of the NFL draft lottery to figure out if you can get that quarterback. That quarterback has never been available ever. And you can get it if you're willing to compromise all your morals and deal with protests outside your stadium. Like that's the flip side of it. That is egregious and and gross just because I expect to have some level of moral conscience. And maybe this is like pushing for something to change as the generations go forth that professional sports teams should have moral obligations, but it's the, it's a flip side that's so tantalizing. And, and I understand why we're having this conversation because and people have compromised their morals for less or compromised their morals for more than trading for a sec- trading all of your team's future for a sexual predator, like lesser things have created more of moral conundrums for other teams and more egregious things. Although there's few more egregious precedents in the NFL, they have created stranger and stronger backlash so it's it's impossible to figure out that situation and i just expect better because six games of paid leave cannot be enough of a punishment in this case that seems obvious enough even if i can't be moral arbiter it feels like we're definitely not in a position to go there well could be anything still at this point so yeah, I I don't know. Um, I don't know. Here's another scenario. It's that you're trading him to a team that has a defensive-minded head coach. You know? So, um, you're not matching, like we were talking about, take this conversation full circle. You're not matching a head coach... You know, it would be different if your head coach is an offensive guy who's, who says, I can win with, you know, I can win Super Bowls with Deshaun Watson if we can work this out. 
I mean, they have Brian Flores, who's you know a dang good coach, but he's not an offensive guru. And you know, I mean, he's had a, a right a revolving door of offensive guys in there. I mean, again, this situation. I think teams are better off. The, the Dolphins would be better off. If they're really serious about the quarterback position. Is finding finding a coach quarterback combination that's going to work for them long term. <laughs> I in my mind, like this is just the frustration of all of this situation. But in my mind, I'm like the best situation is don't trade for a sexual predator while he's got an active, ongoing investigation. That's the right. part that I scream. I'm like, just don't. Don't do that. That's the one thing you don't do. Just don't trade for him or, I guess, be willing to accept. If you're willing to accept all the backlash that comes your way, I guess the other part is, like, if they came out and fully said, look, we think what Deshaun Watson has done is heinous. We don't believe – we are fully willing to accept the blame for making this call, but at the same time, have you seen him play quarterback? (laughs) If they fully came out and said – we understand we are at a moral conundrum. We had to do this, and uh, we care more about winning football games, which they will never say. At least I could respect that. It's Stephen Ross is running away from press conferences because people want to ask him about the situation. Like, it's that part that's like, you know you're being sneaky about it, and that's not okay. Yeah, well, I mean, right now there's a controversy over Trump-backed candidates for Senate positions, pretty much all of whom have a record of abusive behaviors towards women. (laughs) I mean, we're living in a society that is just so contradictory um, and on one end willing to turn a blind eye to such, um, you know, egregious behaviors for the sake of power or money or whatever it is. And on the other hand, you have vigilantes who are fed up with this BS and uh, fed up with, with uh, the kind of storied abuse that continues to happen towards women in our society and minorities. So, you know, I, I, it's just, I mean, there are better solutions, you know, um, out there and yeah i I just thought it was going to be different i think that's the other way i thought in the post me too world that it was going to be different and it's been good to a certain extent i think the response to watson has been overwhelmingly positive with the exception of a few people who are always truthers towards men i think that putting him on administrative leave was a good step and I know it's not official administrative leave. I know the Texans are kind of bailing the NFL out, but I think doing the paid leave in the meantime is good. They'll put a suspension up there. That's a measure of accountability. And maybe Deshaun Watson loses two years of his prime out of it. Like, I don't know exactly what it's going to be. That just seems to be the direction that we're headed. Um, Just gauging from context clues, but I think that that is kind of where the progress feels good. Like there's never been a situation like this and we're doing right by the accused to the best that we can. I think there are things outside of control that, you know, trading for Deshaun Watson and having the converse, having a mass media conversation about trading for Deshaun Watson, including on NFL broadcasts, probably something we could do without, but at the same time, 
the NFL does have corporate interests with corporate partners and Deshaun Watson drives content, unfortunately. And I think even the NFL can't entirely control the conversations there, especially on their own platforms. Sure. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> no easy way to pivot on this, but would you like to make picks for the week? <laughs> sure. There's no, there's no great way to transition there other than just saying transition, but, uh, Let's let's p- make some picks for the week. So updated standings here. So Walter last week dropped a three and two week. Um, he is now, I think, above five hundred. I think you and I both have the same record now. And good. I yes, we are both eighteen and seventeen in last place, but only a half game back of second and a game and a half back of first. So everyone is right next. We're in to the each hunt, baby. We're in the hunt. Week. Yes, and we're above 500, which is my goal every year, is to just be above 500. So if I can do that, I'm happy. Sure. All right. First up, 49ers at the Chicago Bears. 49ers are three-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. Ooh, all right. That was with conviction, too. I like it. Yep. Uh, Dolphins and Bills. Bills are 14-point favorites at home. Um, Bills. Yeah, that is a tough one. I agree on that. It's hard to hard to pin that one down. I think it's this is the second to, time you know double digit, you know two touchdown spreads are always tough. Particularly yeah. if it's first quarter and it's ten nothing Dolphins, and you're like, oh man, <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah. oh well, there went that bet. <laughs> oh, you mean like me picking the Jets last week against the Patriots? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... it's tempting to take the points, but the game's in Buffalo, so if we're in Miami, I'd I'd go different, perhaps. But yeah, I mean, I think the Bills will roll on this one. All right. Steelers at the Browns. The Browns are three and a half point favorites. Revenge game for the Steelers. All right. You're rolling with the Steelers off a of bye week. I like it. Yeah. Browns did. No, the Browns played Thursday. I was like, the Browns didn't have a bye week, also. The Browns are banged up. Yeah. I, I, yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, Bucks and Saints. Bucks are five and a half point favorites. Bucks. Oh, that was an easy one. <laughs> You're feeling feeling good about Tampa blowing very out. Very much, very much. Yeah, Saints can't feel good about that game on Monday, right? Like I know they won, but you, you can't be feeling great about that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they have the good defense, but great Brady has had shown recent answers for that defense, and uh, yeah. Um, and I don't see them. I don't see them putting up big points against the Bucks defense with Todd Bowles. So I'm going to go Maybe. with Bucks. 
maybe this is the week they let Jameis throw the ball 70 yards down the field because the Bucks don't have corners or safeties. Maybe this is the week they let Jameis open up sure. the offense. <laughs> That'd be a good strategy if he can get the ball off. <laughs> That's the problem. That's yeah. the problem, of course. Yeah. Cowboys and Vikings, final game on Sunday night. The Cowboys are three-point favorites. Cowboys. All right. Rolling with Dallas against the Vikings. Yeah. Walter, thank you for an extended power hour this week. I you appreciate got it, pal. the extra time. Once we get rolling, we can't stop. No, we cannot. You've got a great point there. So We're like Lay's potato chips. Once you have one, you can't stop. This is true. That, except uh, I'm a barbecue chip person. I, uh, I will We're prefer like the Lay's barbecue, barbecue chips. chips. Yep. I'm a salt and vinegar guy, so just get me started. Mm, that's a good one. Give me some be- beverages to chase it down with. I'm all set. Let's see. I've got real quick to close. With the, the great content that people are looking for, I have my top five chips of all time here to close out the podcast because we love a good <laughs> top five list. Number five, I will go with the nacho cheese Doritos. I don't have any fanfare to play, but still, I, yay, number five. Uh, Number four, I will go with the Mission Tortilla Chip. (laughs) Number three, I will go with the Salt and Vinegar Chip with, um, I think they're the ones they sell at Subway. I forgot what the brand is called, but that, I will go with. Ootsies. Maybe, maybe. Ootsies are the best. It comes in a it comes in a blue package. Is the one I'm thinking of. Uh, I don't know if that's what you're talking. These are white and white and blue. Yeah, then maybe it is. I don't. It might. It's one of those. But it's that's a good one there. Uh, number two, I have the pita chip. You can pick your own, but I will go with the pita chip as my number two. I I like the Trader Joe's ones for sure, but pita chips yeah. you can get any pita chip and have it be excellent and number one i'll finish with the barbecue chip barbecue uh, lays more preferably um yeah. i will also go with the ones i forgot what the um gosh i can't remember what the brand is but it's got it's more it's got more tangy barbecue than the lays ones i forgot what the brand is though i've only had it a few times but it's the tangier oh the barbecue sauce, the better I will go. So those are my official top five chips to close out the podcast. <laughs> All right, man. That's inside info. It's important for people to know. It is not important at all, but that is, I will. Uh, oh, I that could boost sales. For, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm going to suggest to everyone, if you haven't had a, a bag of Oots chips, Oh, is Tell it the U T Z? Is that the yes. brand? Oh, Ootsies. yeah. I, they they are the best, man. You know, I don't, I don't think they I'm, sell those here. I don't think they sell Uts or Oots in California. The the first oh, time really? I heard about the brand was when they sponsored the um the league championship series for baseball. I was like, I've never heard of this, but I feel like baseball is getting yeah. more and more obscure with these brands in advertising. They're, an Eastern brand moving West, like manifest destiny. They're headed to grocery stores near you. And when they do, I, you won't be disappointed. I guarantee you they're crisp, fresh, um, and you know, done just right. Yes. Not greasy. 
And we're not, not being paid to say this. I'm just a fan. We're not being paid to say it. Walter's just a fan. <laughs> Absolutely. We're, you know, we might as well. I'll sponsor this from Ootsie. Yes, but they're not giving us money, unfortunately. I, I don't they care. Were. I'm, I'm hoping they do well. <laughs> 